found a number of interesting things, but I would say one of the biggest takeaways is this idea of psychological safety. And that is actually the number one predictor of an effective team. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Awesoming's podcast, where we highlight people pursuing their definition of, you guessed it, awesome. So buckle up and get ready for some more success story adventures and failures from Kentucky's tech and entrepreneur community. Welcome back, everyone, to hanging out with us here at Awesome Inc. Yes, I know it's a podcast, but we want to think that you're in the room, feet propped up on the coffee table, bucket of popcorn or whatever you like to watch with your shows. We are super thrilled to have probably the most, probably the most incredible person we've had in our space in December. I can say that confidently, Liz. (laughs) Um, Jamie is a boomerang, I'm going to steal a bit of Liz's thunder, who's been all around the world, East Coast, West Coast, and has popped back into Kentucky. You couldn't hear that pop really well. My uh, my chapstick kind of muffled it. So sorry, guys. It was a really good sound effect. But we are excited for the conversation we're going to have. There's going to be quite a bit of fun. And I'm actually going to pass it off to my, my PIC, my partner in crime. I've never heard that made into an acronym before. Yeah, I heard it, I think, on a Disney Channel show when I was a kid. So it is a thing? You're not it just is. forcing it to be a thing? No, okay. I don't, I'd like to think so. I mean, okay. I can say PIC, my partner in conversation, because that's more so what this is. Mm, but I see what partner you did in there. crime sounds better. So Liz, take it away. I'll shut up. Sounds good. Hey guys, I'm Liz. I am with Venture Labs, our newest program here at Awesome Inc. We are helping corporate companies stay innovative. But how we're having fun with that is we've been bringing some of the best friends of Venture Labs onto the show. Garrett has Um, kindly let us host them. So a big part of my job at Venture Labs, as a reminder, is building a community of people who care about innovation as much as we do. And we've got another one today. So um, I'm going to introduce Jamie here in a second. But before I get started, speaking of building that community, I'm going to make an absolutely shameless plug for our newsletter. We are building our bi-monthly newsletter. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here, if you want to get the link to this podcast that Jamie of just to hear what Jamie has to say today, um, head to awesomeinc.org forward slash Venture Labs. It'll be in the show notes. And we would love to hang out in your inbox a couple times a month. So today we have Jamie. She is a boomerang, which as Garrett said, is a term we are desperately trying to normalize at Awesome Inc. She grew up here. She left to spread her wings at Cornell. She's been spent time at Google and has, for now, it sounds like, decided to come back. Uh, take advantage of some remote learning and for her career. So Jamie, I'll let you tell us a little bit more about who you are, where you come from, what you spent time doing and what you're up to now. Sounds great. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for the kind intros. Um, And yes, like you both mentioned, I'm a boomerang similar to others on this podcast and associated with Awesome Inc. in that I was born and raised in Lexington and I moved to New York, lived in California, lived in England. And the more places I lived, the more I realized that Lexington is a pretty great place to call home. And I'm excited to be back here, returned back in April of this year. Um, But in terms of my background and my story, um, like I mentioned, was born and raised in Lexington. And to be perfectly honest, I was and still am a pretty big nerd. So I spent (laughs) most of my childhood Um, doing ballet at Lexington Ballet and studying, learning, reading um, just about anything I could, especially anything on the topic of psychology and human behavior. Um, So I was really drawn to the question of why do people do what they do, especially when that is irrational behavior. So not just why do people buy more groceries when the prices go down, but why would they buy more when the prices go up, which is actually a thing with some luxury goods. 
Um, so trying to just explore different human biases and, and make sense of them. Um, so I then went to Cornell, where I studied economics and psychology uh, to focus in on behavioral economics, which is the field that really studies um, human biases uh, that are widespread. And um, from there, I worked in a number of psychology research labs. And I thought it'd be pretty cool to go into academia. It seemed pretty great to just come up with different research questions, um, study them, and then get to write them up and, and go on to your next project. But I actually realized it'd be much cooler to put these great findings into practice. Um, and that's where I actually realized uh, Google was a company that did just that. They hired a number of psychologists and statisticians, and they used all these interesting findings um, and research methods and theories from social sciences to apply them to their workplace. Um, so that led me to the path to Google, uh, where I worked in a number of roles there. Um, and yeah, like Liz mentioned, I'm back in Kentucky, um, focusing on uh, getting my MBA at Vanderbilt, actually, and looking to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. But excited to dig in to um, some of the different research that I worked on while at Google and just different topics on innovation and team building and things like that. That's great. Uh, we love people who do both corporate and entrepreneurial stuff. So you're in you're in the right space. So you and I have talked a little bit about your history, Garrett, as well. But a lot of what you did, it sounds like at, at Google, and correct me if I'm wrong, was a lot around people analytics and design thinking. So can you dig into maybe one or both of those a little bit? What did that mean for your role? How did you take some of that research and apply it to like, what, what was your day-to-day -day at Google? Yeah, so uh, people analytics is um, the practice of using social science research methods and theories to inform your people, practices, programs, processes. So basically using rigorous research to inform everything you do at the company um, from the people perspective. And I wouldn't say there was necessarily a typical day-to-day uh, -day at Google as the work really varied. Um, and actually, I started in a rotational program so one of my, the first teams that I was on was a people development team. And that's the team where we did a number of workshops. We did design thinking workshops, unconscious bias trainings, uh, nuclear orientation, uh, which was a whole series of, of um, workshops and, and programs for two days. But to focus in on the design thinking workshop that we ran, it was really adapted from uh, the design school at Stanford. So if you're familiar with, uh, they call it the D school. Um, design thinking frameworks. It was adapted from that where you start with empathizing with your users. You then move into expansive thinking where it's all brainstorming and quantity over quality. Um, and then you go into experimentation and really trying to get some real-time feedback um, and iterating before, you know, investing a, a number of resources in an idea uh, without even testing it. Um, so it's a five-step process. And usually the workshops would run about two to three hours um, and you go through, you know, empathizing, defining the, pro defining the problem, um, ideating, creating your prototyping, uh, your prototype and testing. Um, and what it really helps with, one, the workshops are really helpful to, to refine an idea for different product teams. But two, you're creating this culture where it's okay to not have the best idea. You're, you're creating a culture where it's okay to, to fail quickly, um, to have more ideas, which will lead to more good ideas, but also more bad ideas. Um, and people accept that. And uh, some of the skills you learn in that is sort of yes and thinking rather than 
uh, just shutting an idea down before it's fully baked. So I think there's a lot of benefits, both in terms of like that three hour session where you're creating and innovating and iterating, um, but also the long term effects on what it does to the culture. I like that. Jamie, it sounds like you're good at improv based on what you just shared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We also, <laughs> uh, I feel like you're accidentally setting us up for complete success. And I told you a little bit about this, but you told me about this, not even knowing about our Venture Labs workshops that we run, which um, as a lot of our listeners know, we one of the things that we love doing here in the area is we go into corporate companies. We take a day of their time typically. So we take what you guys do in two to three hours and all day. But you basically sort of described and validated what we ask companies here in the bluegrass to do, which is to bring in your employees, um, let them just brainstorm. We call it the customer journey, which you're saying is empathizing. So mm -hmm. using that empathy muscle to say, what does our customer need? What's missing? What are the problems they're facing? And then any idea is a good idea at that point. Um, lay it all on the table and then we help them kind of iterate those throughout the day. Which I think it's interesting what you're saying is that really sets the tone for what to expect from maybe your leadership. Like a company that lets you go through that is a company, it's the one would think that then allows you to do that throughout your career. So I'm curious in those workshops or sessions, was that only for new people in the company? Was that an orientation or was anyone there? Do you guys like what did that, was that just setting the tone for people who are just joining or is it like, hey, if you've got any idea, anyone can be in the room? Yeah, so that's a really great question. And uh, these creative skills for innovation is what they're called. These workshops, they are uh, introduced right when an employee joins the company uh, to signal that, you know, curiosity and innovation, it's something that requires everyone to engage in. It's not just something that one person is responsible for. Hmm. Um, so that's a big piece. But we also want to share that this is a resource that's available at any point um, as you're working at the company. and you know, when you're starting a project, if you want to uh, brainstorm and, and use some of these tools to really define the problem and, and iterate what you're going to be working on, uh, there it's a really helpful framework to have kind of in your back pocket. And it's available, you know, at any point in time for anyone. And actually, I'll share the link, but there's some great publicly available resources at rework.withgoogle.com. And it has the whole uh, Google slide deck and some mm -hmm. notes on running this type of workshop with your team um, or even you can run it for others if you want uh, the whole team to be engaged in the process and have sort of a separate facilitator. So we'll include that. That's great. Do you have, and I don't know if this is something you can share, but like stories from those workshops or like moments when maybe a new employee was like, wow, this was the kind of like ethos of a company that I wanted to see. They're letting me do this or ideas that came out of it. Like, what did you kind of observe for what that did for company culture in those workshops? Yeah, I think that I personally heard a lot of feedback um, where people were just really surprised that the company was willing to take three hours out of um, the day to to teach these skills to everyone. And they really appreciated that, you know, even though you're hired as an engineer or a people analyst or um, some other role, it's it's important for you to engage in in creative exercises and you're not sort of pigeonholed to that role, but you're allowed to um, take the time to think creatively, to uh, speak up and suggest ideas, even if you're not a leader. And uh, from my experience, I think managers and leaders, um, they really modeled this sort of inquisitive behavior and encouraged uh, employees at any level to speak up and share if they have a great idea. And there's even uh, some great examples with um, Gmail and Chrome and some of these iconic products have come from 
um, just more open, open thinking uh, collaboration across different groups. And these are the um, qualities that you really get out of doing a design thinking workshop or more creative skill uh, type workshop. I'm going to segue us a little bit because I know you did a lot around, um, you know, people operations, which means people themselves, which means the teams that they're on. And something that we run into a lot that we're helping companies think through is um, whether you're building an idea or excuse me, building a team around an existing idea or in our workshops or the custom programs we build for companies, when ideas come out of those workshops or programs, how do you build teams around that? And so I don't necessarily need you to speak specifically to that, but I'm curious about what you learned about teams and building teams and how do you create curiosity and, and put the right teams together? Um, so how, I don't know, what did, what, what did you learn maybe in your time more around the building of effective teams? That's a great question. And one that Google has done a ton of research on that is publicly available. Um, there was a whole project called Project Aristotle. Um, Google <laughs> loves code names for things. Um, and this one is really the idea, uh, the quote, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, uh, mm -hmm. which mirrors nicely to the idea of an effective team. Um, and so that research uh, found a number of interesting things. But I would say one of the biggest takeaways is this idea of psychological safety. And that is actually the number one predictor of an effective team. And psychological safety is basically an academic term for um, feeling safe on a team, feeling like you can take risks and comfortable that you're comfortable around your teammates. So you're not afraid to say something stupid. You're not afraid to, you know, be yourself, bring your whole self to work, uh, that type of mentality. And uh, what that did, what that research does is it has really created a common language. So um, when people are starting teams, they're able to uh, do some exercises and engage in certain behavior to really increase the psychological safety of their team early on. And this could be simple things, just getting to know one another. Uh, I think I heard the line, um, the most efficient way to get something done isn't necessarily the best. And I think with teamwork, this is a really nice example of, you know, taking the time, especially in this virtual world, to check in and ask people, how are people doing um, before diving right into, you know, we need to get X, Y, and Z done. Let's do it as quickly as possible and move on. I think there's something to be said for uh, letting people share a bit more um, outside of exactly what you think you need to get done right there. Um, so that was one of the bigger takeaways. And I know you mentioned curiosity, um, which there's a lot of great research on the importance of curiosity, how, you know, curious people are more effective teammates, higher performers, um, a number of great benefits go along with that. And uh, in terms of uh, encouraging curiosity at work, uh, there's a few things. I think one, you can start by hiring for curiosity. And that's, you could ask questions like, what interests you outside of work? When was the last time you went down a rabbit hole? And, and what did you find? Those types of questions. Um, there was actually a story of a billboard on the 101, which is um, the route from San Francisco, it's on the West Coast, um, and you take it if you go from San Francisco to uh, Mountain View. And the billboard said the first 10 prime digits in e.com. And anyone who went to that website then was able to submit their resume for Google. So it's like if someone's huh. curious enough to go there, um, that might be a good way. That's I, really I cool. I didn't see that myself, so I don't think that's still around. Um, so yeah, the first part, hiring for curiosity, and then when people enter the company, doing things like design thinking workshops to signal that's important. Mm. And 
Um, one really interesting example is with Astro Teller at X. Um, his, his title is the Captain of Moonshots, um, which is a really cool title. But he's the CEO of X, and he um, really believes in celebrating failures. And so much so that the story is um, when something, a project at X fails, they will actually have a, a party to celebrate the failure. Um, and this is more because they want to encourage people to admit when um, the idea is no longer worth pursuing or the concept won't work um, and, and not punish that. Uh, so it's, it's a good thing to be curious and pursue those ideas, but you know, letting go of sunk costs and admitting when it will no longer work and doing things to signal that this person still, they failed and they're still able to work at the company. I think that's a pretty powerful signal as well. I think oftentimes signaling gets a bad rap, but I think what I appreciate about the way you're talking about it is it sounds like the teams and leadership at Google takes that seriously. We're, we're signaling things that we actually mean. We're not just mm -hmm. um, something we talk about a lot is, or that we hear complaints about is innovation theater, where mm -hmm. it's sort of, we're just going to do this so we seem innovative or curious. But I think what, at least the outside perception, and it sounds like the the reality is that Google, it, those things actually come to fruition of you're hiring the right people and then doing these workshops. And then that continues to be the case of you you actually continue to encourage employees to think and live and work from that sort of curious open box mindset, which I just think is really cool. You had spoken to us a little bit before on um, on who was on it. So I, I had asked you a little bit about who was on a team and something you said I thought was fascinating that in some of your research and practice, who is on the team matters a little bit less than the culture of the team. Could you dig into that a little bit? If you remember some of the research I think you were telling us about of like the end of it's not necessarily about having like the right five people, but even if it's maybe some of the wrong people, if that culture is there. Yeah. So I'm really glad you asked that because I think what's really interesting about the research is not just the elements that make a team effective, which just to recap those psychological safety is, you know, the number one thing that determines the effectiveness of a team. And this is, again, feeling safe, taking risks, being vulnerable around your teammates. Uh, the next is dependability, feeling like you can depend on your teammates to get their work done. Uh, structure and clarity, having a sense of uh, what your role is and, and what the role of others on the team is. Uh, meaning, feeling like you're getting a sense of meaning through your work. And impact, feeling like you're um, able to, to make an impact and your work matters. And so while I think hearing those, you'd say, yeah, duh, those all make sense. Those sound like nice things to have on a team. What's interesting is the elements that are not necessarily uh, key contributors to an effective team. And one of those is uh, performance, your performance metric. So if you take a number of people all with the highest performance ratings and you throw them on a team, you don't necessarily get an all-star team. And I think we can see some parallels of this in the sports world, on football teams, on basketball, thinking of um, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And uh, if you take a number they of them back, they come, they come back on the yeah. podcast. They keep coming up. The Venture Labs episode in yeah. particular. <laughs> sports analogies are really great for, for teams because I think we can see you can take some of the best players, put them on the team, and uh, they may not work so well together. Um, and so I think it's just a good reminder that uh, these other qualities that I mentioned are, are really critical to, to bake. And those are something that you can build, whereas you might not necessarily be able to improve performance of all individuals. You can build things like psych psychological safety and structure, clarity, uh, meaning into people's work. So I think that's promising. 
And and to that point, I think one thing that's really great, speaking of sports teams, is UCLA's famous basketball coach, John Wooden, set, set a, I guess, a, a legacy because it was there was such a team culture, not the individual. And with Google, you know, it's about the bigger team, not just the individual. So I like that something you guys have have pinpointed and you're realizing is super crucial. Liz, I can say that we're blessed with with our work team that we realize, hey, it's not just about Garrett, Liz, or Brian, whoever. It's, hey, the greater whole, but also we're serving Lexington first and then the greater community of Kentucky and our startup, entrepreneurial ecosystem, all the fun buzzwords. But it really is true. When you are valuing the culture of the team and the people you're working with over yourself, things will change instantaneously. Also makes just a bunch of B players, but we have great culture. No, I'm just kidding. Brian, we love you. Thanks for hiring Brian's us all. An, Brian's an A player. We're B players. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, even in our community, like you said, we've got, um, we've got so many great community partners here from, um, like I'm thinking of Commerce Lex and Base 110 and um, UK, et cetera. And I think all on our own, like, so it can apply to a company, but also like communities as well. Um, that if that culture is there, then you can sort of raise that innovative tide in, in the bluegrass region as a whole. But, um, and I think what's funny when we were talking about Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen last time, if I remember correctly, <laughs> sports <laughs> is that um, we were talking about how we often celebrate, uh, we celebrate entrepreneurs and like flashy success, especially here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Ben Adkinson from Toyota was talking about how that's a very American or United States quality. Um, but we don't celebrate as often the people who actually do kind of the hard long-term sludge work of building ideas and growing ideas. The consistency. Yeah. And I, I think if I hear what you're saying, you've, you've got to have all those people together who care about the same thing. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in that, especially in the entrepreneurial world of we want a bunch of flashy entrepreneurs who all have new big ideas. But um, putting all those people on a team, none of the ideas are going to last because they're just going to keep coming up with new ideas. None of them want to build it necessarily long-term. And so... Um, I think that has a lot of applications to both the corporate world and the startup space as well. I think that might be a great place to start. I'll give you a second. Is there anything else you kind of wanted to speak to on like teams or design thinking? And then we'll may save the rest, the rest of the nuggets for the next episode. Yeah, I think you gave a really nice sort of segue or teaser to um, talking more about performance management and incentives, because what I was hearing with using we celebrate, you know, flashy entrepreneurs um, rather than consistency um, like they do in other cultures sort of ties to incentives and what what motivates people. And so I think that'll be something interesting to dig into with performance management and how you can create the right goals to incentivize the behaviors you want. So I'm excited to dig in there, too. Sounds good. We'll talk to you guys next time. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Awesomings Podcast. And another quick thank you to Lee Rosevere and a few members from our community who provide the music that you hear in this show. Lastly, give us a follow on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Or even better, come on down to our space. Come be a part of our community and get plugged in. And let's start something awesome together. You guys rock. We'll see you next time.